Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Um, it is my pleasure to introduce to you uh, Dr. Alicia Kowalski. Uh, she is a uh, professor in the Department of Anesthesiology and Preventive uh, Medicine, uh, Division of Anesthesiology, Critical Care, and Pain Medicine uh, at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Kowalski, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so Dr. Kowalski had a, um, a lecture this morning on a very hot topic uh, in the field of medicine um, today, and it was on strategies and tools to mitigate burnout and promote career sustainability. Before we go into that, Dr. Kowalski, do you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself, about your background? Oh, sure. Um, so I'm a native Houstonian, um, graduated from Rice and attended University of Texas Medical School. I did my anesthesia training at the University of Texas, and I've been at MD Anderson um, since 93 uh, as my first rotation, and then as a faculty member since 99. Um, I really enjoy the work that I do as an anesthesiologist there, and I like to help to support my colleagues in terms of career sustainability and um, professional fulfillment through my passionate efforts in this arena. I've also partnered with a colleague at Baylor College of Medicine, and we founded a national symposium that helps to address these topics. Great. Um, what got you interested in looking into physician wellness, promoting it, um, burnout. Uh, you briefly mentioned during uh, the lecture today that five years ago, this wasn't really even talked about. So what got you more involved? Right, that's so true. Um, it really has come uh, to fruition in terms of awareness and prioritization in terms of supporting our community. Um, I know that when I was a resident, um, certainly as a medical student, there was no uh, formal curriculum or insight or opportunity to uh, pursue any sort of academic training or um, development, um, yet it was something that was kind of uh, expected as a faculty member. Um, as a resident, I did do uh, grand rounds and I did contribute to a publication in a journal. But beyond that, there was no uh, formal professional development um, outside of the clinical contribution and training and education that went on. Um, then when I became a faculty member, um, I realized that in order to get promoted, I was going to have to have academic achievements. And being in the OR five days a week uh, made this pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. And not having the uh, professional development skills, awareness, and insight into how to achieve these things uh, was an additional burden um, overlaid on the lack of time and support. 
So it felt to me personally that there was um, dichotomy of expectations uh, without the infrastructural training and support and opportunity to achieve it and accomplish it. And um, to have a successful career, it was imperative that it happened. Mm-hmm. So trying to merge these things together and help promote uh, opportunities and education in this arena for my colleagues That's how my commitment to the Burnout to Brilliance Symposium came through. And then from that, it's just grown in terms of the institutional contributions that I make and the national contributions towards awareness. Great. Um, What are some of the major drivers and causes of burnout? so there's a number of things that are identified on the AMA website of Steps Forward, and there's nine um, different drivers um, off the top of my head. Quoting them would be um, misalignment of um, values between the provider and the institution, mm-hmm. um, lack of time, um, some things that... Uh, contribute to lack of flexibility or autonomy in the work can take a toll on people. Mm -hmm. Um, EMR frustrations help to um, kind of counterblock efficiency and uh, make the day more challenging. So there's a number of drivers that can contribute to burnout. Um, Looking at solutions, I personally like the Stanford model, and grouping solutions under culture, efficiency, and personal resiliency. So things that fall into those categories can help to really mitigate these drivers. Great. Uh, You talked a lot about um, personal resiliency, and I think that's um, very important when you're recognizing burnout. So can you expand a little bit more about what you mean by personal resiliency? Sure. So if you think of resiliency as your ability to kind of um, recover from a setback or um, to reshift into a positive focus or positive reframing, that's really critical in our career. Um, I like to subcategorize resiliency in terms of personal and professional. Uh, For personal resiliency, it is what, for you as an individual, charges your battery, what types of things fulfill you and help you to connect with your day-to-day life and identify your meaning here on the planet, whether it's being with family, whether it's exercising, um, healthy nutrition, all those sorts of things that um, are traditionally, stereotypically called to mind when you hear the term wellness. Um, When you think about professional resiliency, I think there's an overlap with um, efficiency. For tools and skills that we can utilize to help our efforts to be more um, fruitful and to be more efficient. Um, I know that when attorneys graduate law school and join a firm, there's about two years of professional development that they are put through. Just in terms of um, interacting with clients, interacting with partners, how they show up for work, etiquette, dress, 
all those sorts of things that really help to refine them and polish them and give them the confidence to communicate their message and what they need to do. When I think about our training as physicians, there's a lot of skills that are utilized and necessary for our effort and community that we really don't uh, propagate to those who are coming behind us. Mm -hmm. For example, elevator spiels. You know, a lot of doctors don't even know what an elevator spiel is, yet it can be really impactful on a career. Um, we talk about networking. There's tips and tools that can be used to help networking to be more efficient and more fruitful and successful, mm -hmm. leading to uh, academic collaborations. So I think that personal resiliency can... Um, encompass those sorts of activities and components of our academic curriculum that are often uh, neglected. Yeah. And what was interesting to me was you um, touched on the idea of integration because we always talk about, oh, achieving work-life balance, but um, it was enlightening to me that you mentioned that it's more than work-life balance. It's more about integration can you expand on, on that a little bit more? Oh, sure, definitely. Um, so to me, balance, if you think of like a seesaw um, or a scale, balance is very um, temporal. Mm. It's a little bit more fragile. Um, it's more easily impacted. But if you think about integration in terms of gears and a motor, um, all these gears fit together, and there's a synergistic effect where work is ex exponentially um transferred into a greater output. So if we think about work-life integration and the efforts that we make as those gears, if we align it correctly, for the most part, we can help our output to be more successful and more fruitful and more rewarding for us. Um, something else that you touched on was the importance of institutional uh, commitment in order to uh, promote wellness in the workplace. Where do we start? How do you do that? Yeah, um, cultural and efficiency of practice. So cultural wellness and efficiency in practice are two things that really um, fall under the organization's impact on our um, careers and on the output that we give to our patients. The first step in my opinion is <clears throat> twofold one of them is measuring the baseline incidence of burnout across the organization or across the department or whatever community you identify how large or how small and using a validated tool of course to do the measurement and um, kind of drawing a line in the sand and then taking that information and transferring it to some sort of unit of measurement that will convince the C-suite to really take a look at this and invest in this. The AMA side, again, steps forward, offers a calculator where you can program in your uh, metrics for the scores that are obtained on your burnout measurement tool and the incidents in your organization, along with the number of whether you're looking at faculty, nurses, what have you. And then it multiplies out a financial figure of the cost to the institution on burnout annually. And that figure can be very remarkable and persuasive for the leadership to begin to take a look at things that can be addressed. So 
I think those are the first two steps. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and you also mentioned about, well, actually, our um, audience, there was a lot of discussion about um, improved or increased efficiency and lack of time. So how do we address that lack of time in this environment of increased efficiency? That was also something that um, was touched on this morning. Right. So the question, as I heard it this morning, is in our culture where we basically increased efficiency in many ways, mm -hmm. how is it that we feel as human beings that there's less time available to us to do things? Yeah. And um, I think that that's a real relative um, inquiry. Mm -hmm. um, it is true that we have been able to increase efficiency in terms of communication with email, with cell phones, um, increased efficiency in terms of, um, you know, interacting with people. Um, but I think that we also have to recognize that there have been increased demands put on us. Mm -hmm. from administrators who have uh, increased demands in terms of patient flow through and output, um, increased regulatory demands for reimbursement, pre-authorizations, those sorts of things, um, increased demands in terms of the EMR and charting, which isn't always as efficient as it's marketed to be. Um, I personally really miss the paper record where I could write an order, flag it, and the nurse would see it and follow through uh, versus the EMR where I have to go in and search for what I want and try to modify the order to reflect what I really uh, want carried out and the way that I want it carried out and then hunt down the nurse to let her know I put an order in because otherwise she won't see it well, for a period of clicks time. Everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when we say increased efficiency, I think we really need to uh, to break it down into mm -hmm. morsels. And there are areas where we have increased efficiency, but there are areas where we have used technology, which is basically um, mislabeled things as increased in efficiency and actually become a little bit more cumbersome. In terms of time in this day and age, um, it is very easy for personal time to get eroded. Um, I think with the constant inundation from social media and the ability to communicate um, immediately with colleagues and or family and or friends, um, there's kind of the expectation of um, immediate response and um, always being available, it's important to kind of set some personal boundaries and identify a time where it is okay to do the things that need to be done um, in terms of nutrition, in terms of personal hygiene, in terms of personal self-care. And I think it's okay to be able to say, you know, um, I'm not going to be able to do that right now, but I will have it to you within a few hours or by the end of the day. Um, or even by tomorrow or the end of the week, if it's able to be put off that to that degree. Um, you could imagine if you were scheduled to give a lecture, you wouldn't be able to address it immediately because you would be consumed with work. And I think that self-care needs to be prioritized and protected in a way that allows us to recharge and not to the extreme that it's 
compromising what we achieve, but to the degree that it's supporting what we want to achieve. What are the, um, what are some of the steps that we can take when it comes to uh, self-assessment? What are some of the things that we can do in the stepwise approach to kind of step back and think about, you know, why we feel burnt out um, and um, basically how do we approach it? Right. So, you know, we know ourselves better than we know anybody, right? right. And um, I think we can recognize when we're shifting into a phase that maybe is a little bit, um, for lack of a better term, dark. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we feel less enthusiastic or a little bit more overwhelmed or more irritable. And at that particular point in time, before it progresses, um, there are some things that can be done that are personal and private and that can give you an accurate assessment or reflection of where you are. Um, There are some apps that can be used. Uh, You can download it to your phone, and it'll give you a longitudinal feedback of um, how you're scoring and different types of tips and tools that could be recommended to help support your efforts. Um, it's not shared. It's only for you. Um, it's strictly um, an individual feedback tool. Um, there are other things. The wellness wheel, which is a very common method that's um, on paper. It's visual. You can identify certain values that are important to you personally, and then you can score them numerically. And uh, within that circle, analogous to spokes on a bicycle, Um, You can begin to plot where you think that you're falling on those uh, numerical ratings. And it'll show areas of strengths and areas of opportunities. And some people also recommend maybe having your spouse or your partner um, assessing how they're seeing you. And if things are beginning to um, align with how you're assessing yourself, or if it's very different than how you're assessing yourself. Are you being too self-critical? That sort of thing. Great. Uh, Dr. Kowalski, thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank it was you. a pleasure having you. Thank you so um, much. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as we close another session of our podcast, I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. 
We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.